Welcome to the Journal.ie's The Explainer, where every week we take a deep dive into a different news story. I'm Sinead O'Carroll, and this week, why are tourists able to visit Ireland right now? It's been quite a time since we last gathered together on The Explainer podcast. Apple and Ireland have won in a European court in relation to that 13 billion euro. Barry Cowan was sacked as Agriculture Minister just 17 days after being appointed. So the West now has a seat at the cabinet table as Dara Cleary now takes up that position. At the time of recording, we're still not sure what will happen to the pubs on the 20th of July. But despite all of that news, the biggest talking point over the past few days has been how and why American tourists are visiting the country. We are usually delighted to see people flock to the Wild Atlantic Way, showing off our beautiful shores, our wonderful mountains and giving it the Cade Meal of Falcha. But at the moment, that is worrying to some people. It is angering others and for others, it is just a, a little bit confusing. The refrain goes, how in the middle of a pandemic, when there are so many restrictions on our lives, can people come in from a country which is now the epicentre of the pandemic? To explain just that, I'm joined today by senior reporter Michelle Hennessy, who you will all recognise from the nightly briefings at the Department of Health. Michelle, you've been across all of this since the word lockdown became a huge part of our vocabulary back at the start of March. What is the state of play for the US and Ireland when it comes to travelling between the two countries? Right, so if we bring it back to March, and I know this seems like years ago now for people at this stage, um, but back in, in the second week of March, and this was around the time that we were starting to bring in restrictions in Ireland, the United States banned travel from the EU, and that was on the 11th of March. Now, on that day, we were actually excluded from that travel ban, but uh, this was extended to Ireland and the UK three days later. Now, in Ireland at that time, we had about 163 cases in total, but it, it seems that the, the US decision for this was mainly based on the fact that the UK was experiencing widespread transmission uh, their numbers were that week five times higher than the previous week. And, you know, with, with the free travel between the UK and the Republic of Ireland, um, that seemed to be a, a big push factor for the US in, in extending that to, to Ireland and the UK. Um, so the US President Donald Trump has recently hinted that Europeans from countries that have low rates of infection may soon be able to travel to the US again. But it's not clear when this will happen. The EU has asked for the ban to be reconsidered. Um, but at, at the moment, the United States isn't on the European Union's green list. That's the list of countries considered safe to to allow people in from without imposing restrictions on them. So it, it may be the case that Donald Trump will decide, you know, if you're not letting our people in, we're not letting yours in. Uh, we'll just have to see how that plays out in the next couple of weeks. So at the moment, Irish people can't go to the US and US tourists can't go to most countries in the EU, but they can come to Ireland. So how does that work? So the, the countries that uh, United States citizens uh can't travel to and this has been the case throughout um, the lockdown uh, across Europe so far. Uh, those countries are in the Schengen area now this includes most EU states basically mainland Europe the, the countries that are bordering each other uh, and if you're in one of those countries and you travel to another one of those countries there aren't any passport control requirements at the border and um, so you know there's ease of travel there. Ireland is not one of those countries um, and that's mainly because we, we don't have a direct border with, with any of those countries because we're an island um, and we haven't 
had a travel ban in relation to any countries throughout our own lockdown. Uh, we now we do still have visa uh, systems in place here, the same as, as we had before the pandemic. And for US citizens, there's a 90 day visa waiver and that system is still in place. So, you know, at the moment, anyone who, who could travel here before the pandemic still can. And that wasn't really too much of an issue during our lockdown. I mean, people didn't really want to travel here, uh, especially for a holiday during that time. Anyway, there was nothing to do. You couldn't go anywhere. Uh, but now that the country's starting to open back up, it is becoming appealing again for tourists to come here and, and that's what we have been seeing they are starting to come here again so the reason that people are worried then is because the situation isn't good in the US and US people are coming here just to look at that situation in the US how bad is it there right now there have been uh, more more than 3.3 million cases across the country, which is absolutely huge. Uh, 136,000 people have died and the number of known cases is doubling about every month. Now, uh, people will remember that, you know, New York was a particularly bad example um, in the early days of the pandemic. And that's one of the states where, you know, you, people will see a bit of stabilisation. Uh, there are some places where there have been a decline in, in states where they did, you know, a proper full lockdown. But the, there are many states where they're seeing growths in rates of infection. Uh, and that's despite the fact that they're, you know, they're, they're, their lockdowns are being rolled back and they're rolling back those lockdowns despite the fact that their numbers are growing. Um, so examples of, you know, Texas, California, um, one in every five cases in the world is now coming from three U.S. states. That's Florida, Texas and California. And we have people coming into Ireland from those states. So just to go back to the differences between what's happening in the rest of the EU and Ireland or in the Schengen area and, and Ireland, the EU green list, um, is that what the Schengen area is using to determine who can and can't go to those countries? Well, this EU green list seems to be more a kind of a guidance um, than a, you know, an overall rule that everybody is accepting. They've decided on a list of 15 non-EU countries to, to reopen to. Uh, and, you know, this includes Canada, Australia, countries like Morocco, um, but the US, Brazil, Russia and China are not on that list. Um, so the, the countries on that list are basically considered safe to travel to and safe to allow people in from without imposing restrictions on them. But, you know, the thing about this list is that it's still ultimately down to each individual member state to decide how they apply that. Now, we haven't released our own version of, of this list in Ireland yet. It was promised on the 9th of July. It looks like it'll be the, the 20th now or po possibly later if the government here decides to delay it further than that. But it likely include countries from both inside and outside the EU, our own list. Um, Currently, we're advising against non-essential travel anywhere, and we're also asking tourists not to come here for holidays. But obviously, that message isn't getting through to everyone. Yes, yeah, so tourists are actually still arriving here. What do they have to do when they arrive? Is there any rules on them or any anything that they have to carry out um, in order to go on their holiday? The one main requirement is that they have to fill in what's called a passenger locator form and you have to give your details like your phone number and also the address that you'll be staying at. Uh, there is also the advice to self-isolate for 14 days, but this isn't mandatory. So it's more um, we're, you know, asking the tourists when they come on, would you please self-isolate for 14 days? Uh, but if they don't do it, there are no penalties for it. And um, when it comes to the passenger locator form, Gardaí or agents for the border management unit can call to check in with people who fill out the form. And there are penalties associated with providing false information, uh, such as, as a fine or a short term of imprisonment. But what we know 
now in, in the last couple of months uh, is that the you know the check-ins on on these forms haven't been great and um, according to a report in the Irish Examiner this week of the more than 52,000 passengers who flew into Dublin airport between the 1st of July and the 13th of July only 3,500 were later called to verify the information they gave on arrival and less than half of those people bothered to answer the phone. So not only are we only checking on a very small proportion, but only half of those are even answering to give the details, um, you know, to give an update on whether they are where they said they were on the form. Uh, so the Taoiseach has recently said the government isn't happy with this level of follow up and um, he recognises there, there's a problem with it. And he's announced plans to step up that monitoring and enforcement. Uh, this includes digitising the passenger locator form, uh, creating a centralised database for people entering via the ports and airports. Uh, and also a call centre is to be established to check in with those people who arrive. So to, to really streamline it uh, and ensure that, you know, we're contacting more people to see where they are. What are the sanctions? Because I know when you fill out those forms, when you go to other countries and you kind of worry, God, if I get caught lying on this or I don't know what address I'm staying at. Uh, and you feel like if you fill it out incorrectly, you'll be kicked out within three hours. Uh, what are the sanctions on people coming here? Like, is there would there be any fear on people arriving in? Well, currently, the only punishable offences related to this passenger locator form, you can be fined up to €2,500 or jailed for up to six months. And this would be if you provided false or misleading information on the form. So, you know, providing a a different name um, or putting down an address that you weren't actually planning to to stay at. Um, Also, failing to provide an update if that information changes over the 14 days that you're being advised to, to quarantine. So say if you were booked into one hotel, you put in the name of that hotel and it was a Dublin one. Uh, you then moved five days later to a hotel in Galway and uh, you didn't tell agents that you, you had moved that address. Um, also, uh, if you failed to offer sort of backup um, verification on the details that you provided on the form. So, you know, proving that you had a booking in that hotel, for example, if you fail to provide that, um, that can be a problem. You can be arrested and charged in relation to these examples. But I suppose the questions are about how much that's really being enforced. And, you know, there's a difficulty there in in checking up on those kinds of things. You know, if you ring somebody up uh, and say, are you still at that hotel? Um, you know, they can lie about it. And uh, there would have to be an awful lot of, of time and effort put into proving that they weren't actually where they said they were when you called to do the check-in. Uh, in relation to the 14-day the uh, quarantine, like I said, it's not mandatory. Um, so somebody could stay for those 14 days in the, the place of accommodation that they put on the form and they can go out socialising every day. Um, you know, they, they can travel about the country and then go back and stay in that hotel that night and technically they're not breaking the law. Just to go back to the the EU point as well. So this isn't just about US citizens because we're open to everybody right now in a way that not all other countries are. So are we seeing people come from other places too? We are. Uh, we've heard recently from Acting Chief Medical Officer Dr. Ronan Glynn <clears throat> that there are ongoing concerns for passengers entering uh, Ireland from countries who may not be on this green list uh, that we'll get later this month. Now, he obviously has an idea of which country is going to be on the green list. We don't know that yet. Uh, he provided a list of countries that people had travelled in from since June, uh, and these people then became COVID cases. So th- that includes Afghanistan, Bangladesh, France, Germany, India, Malaysia, Portugal, Sudan, Sweden. 
Sweden, uh, also the UK and the US, obviously. Essentially, anyone who could travel here before the pandemic still can. There would just be different expectations on them. So filling in the form and then being advised to self-isolate. And then we also um, have a situation where people can travel into Northern Ireland, could fly into Northern Ireland and then travel into the Republic. And there are no restrictions uh, on, on people who do that at all. So we are talking about a a quite divergent approach between different countries that we're very close to as well. So, you know, people can fly into Ireland and get to the UK in in the opposite, in a vice versa situation. They can. And we have seen a highly divergent approach across the EU, Uh, even though they had hoped. um, And I think that was the intention of having this, this green list that the European Union put together. They had hoped to have a standardized approach to it. And, you know, that might be the case going forward as countries you know, the, the numbers start to go down in countries and they start to reopen their, their economies, we might see, um, you know, a more kind of a, a standardised approach across the EU. But at the moment, um, countries, member states can really make their own call on that and, you know, make their own decisions as regards to, uh, you know, testing at airports, uh, doing temperature checks at airports, placing different restrictions depending on where a person comes from. At the moment, each individual country is just going to make their own call on that. How many people are actually arriving in the country? I think if you listen to Liveline at any stage in the last five days, you'd swear there was, you know, a million people coming in every day. Do we have any idea of the numbers of people who are coming in? Yeah, I mean, you you can understand people's frustration because after being in lockdown for so long, um, now all people can can really do or are being advised to do is a staycation. And people want to know that they're safe if they, you know, travel from Dublin across to Kerry for a week uh, to to holiday there. and you know there's understandable anger in that but what we've heard from the government is that the numbers of people coming in uh, from other countries and in particular if we're talking about the US actually quite small um, speaking at a briefing after cabinet on Monday this week uh, Simon Coveney the Minister for Foreign Affairs said that the figure um, of arrivals is around 4,500 people a day coming into the state uh, and he, he took an example of one of the flights from Dallas um, which has been the subject of a lot of tension on media, social media, uh, he said there were only 16 people on that flight. And he also pointed out that lots of the people coming in from the US are Irish people. Some of them are moving home for good. Some of them are coming back to visit relatives. Some are coming back for funerals also. Um, so what Coveney said is while international travel remains a, a significant risk and, you know, at the moment, the most significant risk now to the reemergence of the virus, other considerations have to come into the equation, such as retaining that connectivity as an island. Uh, and, you know, he said that Obviously, public health is going to be the the first concern, um, but we have to take a pragmatic approach to this now. And there have been groups of tourists, especially from the US, spotted around, and that's kind of part of where we got this furore from. Yeah, that's right. And we heard uh, over the weekend and the early part of this week from a number of uh, businesses who were in the tourism and hospitality sector. And, you know, their their struggles, I suppose, they feel like they're being asked to police this and to police the tourists. And these are tourists that they usually rely on. I mean, I spoke to to, uh, one bar owner in in Galway, uh, Paul Grealish, who owns the King's Head pub. Uh, and, you know, he was saying normally we'd be welcoming them in with open arms and now we're, we're turning people away. He had a, a group um, of American tourists, of seven people at the weekend who turned up at the front door and wanted a table. And he said his general manager was 
kind of nervous, suspected that they were newly arrived, uh, that they weren't locals and asked them for a phone number uh, and specified preferably an Irish number. They gave an American number and he, he sort of went off, came back and said, oh, I checked and we're actually all full up. We, we don't have a space. So, you know, what Paul said is that going forward, they'll be formulating a plan on how to manage these situations. And, you know, he was very frank about it. He said, People might find it insulting to be asked those questions or, or turned away, but if they're offended, then so be it. Because you know my priority is protecting my staff uh, and and also the other customers who were in here, and you know we we also heard from from other businesses in this sector. And um, Janet Kavanagh, who's the owner of Ewiz, which is a bike rental company in County Clare, she spoke to Clare FM uh, Morning Focus with Gavin Grace about having to turn away US tourists so I, I think we have a clip of that. I had a look and it, the name was Irish so I thought oh great um, but I'll just check so I had a, then I looked in a bit further and I realised they were from the US. I messaged them and asked them if they had done their 14 days quarantine since arriving in the country because you know some people have, might have a US address but they've been here for a while and they said oh no they hadn't done they had filled in the contact tracing form, but they hadn't done the 14 days and they didn't realise it was mandatory. So I messaged them back and I said, well, I said, according to what I'm seeing from, you know, the travel advisory people, um, they're saying that you must not socialise for 14 days, go to shops or anything. So as far as I'm concerned, you know, a guided bike tour isn't really... Uh, on. Have you had any signs of any international tourists looking to come here in terms of your future bookings? Uh, yes, well, for next year, maybe. Okay. Um, but nothing for the short term, which is... No, 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 no. Um, and that brings back to the other point. I mean, you did the right thing here, and I hope you get the benefit from it, and I hope people will remember it. What I would be concerned about is that, you know, for, for very legitimate reasons, financial and otherwise, that others may, may just decide to take the business next time a similar group comes along, do you know? Well, yeah, I mean, but you may not know. That's the thing, at least through this this um, booking system that I have, you can look it up and see where they're from. If they had booked it through my own online booking system, I wouldn't necessarily know. It could, And that's through no fault of your own, but that's the system that, that, that everybody is using and... Yeah, so they could have turned up and then I would have been presented with the situation of, oh God, what do I do now? You know, uh, here they are, uh, they're from the US, they just arrived two days ago. What do I do say, go away? Michelle, you get a sense um, from Janet in the clip why there's a little bit of confusion around whether quarantine is mandatory or not. You know, when the people who wanted to ride bikes with her down in Clare, they had said, oh, they didn't think it was. And she said her interpretation of the travel guidance was that, you know, it, it they shouldn't come out on the bikes. So can we just go over again exactly what the situation is with quarantine and whether that could change in the near future? Yeah, I mean, you can see where the confusion comes from, because in other countries it is mandatory. And, you know, I mean, mandatory, you have to uh, self-isolate for the 14 days after you arrive into the country. Here, uh, it, it's we ask people to uh, and it's public health advice and guidance. Uh, it's not a requirement. So the only thing that is a requirement here is filling in that passenger locator form when you arrive into the country. And uh, if you provide 
false or misleading information. So like I said before, giving the wrong name or uh, a false address for where you're going to stay. Um, you can be fined up to 2,500 euro or uh, face a prison sentence of up to six months. There's also um, included in, in these requirements an offence of failure to provide an update on the inf information if it changes over the 14 days. And I think this is the part uh, people are interpreting as, um, you know, being enforceable as regards a 14-day mandatory quarantine. Uh, because if somebody moves from, say, one side of the country to another and doesn't call officials and update them on that change of address, they could potentially be uh, prosecuted for doing that. That's if it can be proven. But uh, for example, if, if we take somebody who, who arrives into Dublin, stays in a hotel in Dublin, five days later decides to... Uh, travel across the country and stay in a hotel in Kerry now instead so long as they call officials and say actually I'm changing address the officials might say well we advise against that because you really should be quarantining for 14 days it isn't an offence if they choose to ignore that and still travel across once they've updated the information. Is there anywhere where mandatory quarantine you've mentioned it is in other places is there anywhere that we know it's working or how is it working? Well, one example is uh, New Zealand, and I think people have been very closely watching how things are being done in, in New Zealand. Uh, in that country, you must go immediately into a managed isolation or quarantine facility and stay there for at least 14 days. Uh, you'll have to be tested negative before you can leave and go back into the community again. Um, now, there had been exemptions for, for people, for example, if you were travelling over for a funeral or for a person who, who was dying, um, but at the moment those even those exemptions have been removed so the way that the government in New Zealand has arranged it you, you stay in a hotel uh, which is used as a, a kind of a quarantine facility uh, the government covers your meals and covers the cost but you know when I say that it should be noted that the border is actually closed to almost all travellers at the moment um, so it, you know it's really sort of people travelling for a, a critical reason or those coming into the country as essential workers that this applies to and then another example would be New South Wales in Australia Australia. Now there the government uh, is charging people from the 18th of July if you travel in and you, you have to uh, do the mandatory quarantine which is in a hotel accommodation. Um, so people who bought their flights before the, the 12th of July are excluded from those fees but anybody from the 12th of July onwards who, who bought flights so going forward if we were to buy a flight today those charges would apply to us. What kind of money are we talking about? We're talking about uh, 1800 euro the equivalent of 1800 euro for an adult and for a child the equivalent of about 300 euro um so you know that would be to to stay for two weeks in a hotel so really i mean that that adds an awful lot onto your holiday if you're planning to to travel over there for a trip to sit and watch netflix in a in a hotel room which i can't imagine would be yeah, exactly. uh, too flush <laughs> with the uh, luxury um is it an idea that our government has said, OK, well, New Zealand are doing it. There's areas in Australia doing it. We could possibly do that here. It really doesn't look like it. I mean, anything that we've heard from government officials here, they don't seem keen on the idea. Tanish Lilly of Radker has, has said that uh, this idea of a mandatory quarantine for people when they come into Ireland, it isn't legal or practical. So we would certainly need new legislation in order to implement that. Um, the Radker also said it, it hasn't worked well in some other countries. So he actually pointed to the mandatory quarantine in Australia, describing it as a bit of a disaster, which is quite strong. Um, and he pointed out that some of the hotels where people have been quarantining became clusters for infection. And this could lead to a second lockdown if, if that happened here, or, you know, even a localised lockdown. He also 
also said the country doesn't have enough hotels or security staff to make quarantine legally mandatory. Although you could argue that if you had strict restrictions in place, for example, like in New Zealand, it would be a deterrent for people uh, because, as you said, who wants to spend two weeks sitting in a hotel watching Netflix when they should be on holidays? So then you kind of come to the next possible solution. Okay, well, if we're not going to make people quarantine, we can't put them in hotels for two weeks. Why don't we just test them when they get here? Well, I mean, it's a good question. It is something that's being considered um, by the Irish government, but there hasn't really been much movement or an indication that we will actually do it. They are doing it in in other countries. uh, in, In Thailand's main airport, they've unveiled rapid coronavirus tests, and that was at the start of this month for some overseas travelers. And this came after a three month ban on any foreign visitors. So uh, business travellers, diplomats and government guests who are staying for less than 14 days are considered fast track travellers. So they can get, instead of doing any kind of a a quarantine, they can be swab tested uh, at the airport. And the test takes around an hour and a half. So that's from the point you get the the test to the results coming back. Um, And this test costs about the equivalent of 84 euro. Um, So, you know, it's not massively costly for people uh, and it's a way for them to avoid having to do any kind of a quarantine when they arrive into the country. There's also a similar situation in Iceland, passengers arriving uh, since the 15th of June, they've been able to choose whether they want to be tested or to quarantine for the two weeks. So again, there, there's that choice between the two, um, which seems to be the way that the people are suggesting it should be done in Iceland, it's around 94 euro, the equivalent of 94 euro for a single test. Uh, and this doesn't apply to children. Um, so children wouldn't have to be tested or do quarantine. It only applies to adults. Um, they're doing it in some European countries too. Austria and Greece uh, allow you to bypass that 14 day quarantine if you test negative uh, for the coronavirus. I mean, we've previously heard from health officials on the National Public Health Emergency Team here uh, that you know, we, we have to look at where our testing capacity is best used. We've had capacity problems here in the past, uh, you know, whether it was because of shortages of supplies uh, or, you know, um, staffing it in, in some cases. Uh, in May, Dr. Tony Houlihan said he didn't believe that there would be a situation where officials would consider blanket testing, as in testing everybody at the airport, everyone who comes in. He didn't consider that would be the best use of those resources. Um, but earlier this month, Junior Tourism Minister Brendan Griffin said the government is examining testing points uh, at points of entry as an alternative to the quarantine. So that would be that idea of being able to choose between the 14 day quarantine uh, and, you know, getting tested, paying for a test yourself uh, and being quickly cleared. And then you wouldn't have to do the quarantine. So officials are looking at how it's working in other countries. We'll just have to see, you know, where that goes. The getting the test back in 90 minutes, Michelle, is there, do we have any research or detail into how accurate and how effective those rapid tests are? Right. Well, I mean, if we take that example of, of Thailand, the, the test that they're using is the PCR test, which is, you know, has a, at least 95 percent accuracy. It's considered the most accurate test that there is to do. And they're managing to do that in an hour and a half. And, you know, presumably that's because they have a very robust testing um, system and you know that they have must have a large capacity to be able to turn it around in, in as quick a time we have not been able to turn around our tests in in, in that kind of time uh, and you know we would require probably a large increase in, in capacity in order to make that kind of blanket testing in an airport uh, and, you know, if we're talking about every airport in the country and all of the ports, um, it's very difficult to see how, considering the delays we've had in our own testing, how we could make that work in Ireland. 
And one other solution, I guess, that's been uh, put out there is something called the traffic light system. Tell us about how what that is and how it would work. Well, there's been calls here also for uh, what you described there, the traffic light system of, you know, a a kind of a a red list as well as a green list of countries um, and maybe an in-between list as well. So the red list would obviously contain countries with high rates of infection uh, and if you had different lists, you could have different levels of restrictions depending on where a passenger comes in from. So, so the, the green list, there would be maybe no restrictions. Um, the, the in-between list, you would maybe have some minor restrictions, maybe some that we have at the moment, like a 14-day quarantine and um, the, the passenger locator form. Uh, and then the red list of countries, um, you know, higher requirements. And, you know, people have been calling for certain countries where you have the very high rates like the US uh, and maybe particular states within the US that you would have a mandatory quarantine for those countries or those states or possibly um, this requirement to be tested negative before you would be allowed to, to travel around the country. And so, you know, that that's something that's out there at the moment. It's a kind of a watch this space situation. Thanks, Michelle, for coming into the explainer again and working through all of that with us. It's obviously clear that things are still incredibly changeable um, and we'll probably see those changes over the next uh, few weeks as we try and come to a consensus within Ireland and within the EU about what to do um, when we want to go travelling. Thank you for listening to The Explainer and a big thank you to Michelle for joining us. If you read the journal, you may have seen our appeal in the past few months for you to support our journalism. It's a difficult time for media as advertising revenues fell drastically during the COVID pandemic, but we are and want to keep providing you and the rest of our 800,000 daily users with valuable, accessible journalism. Loads of you did feel it's important for society to have that open access to news and good information, just like this podcast, and have contributed. A lot of you asked if there was a way you could give more regularly. We now have options for you to become a regular supporter. And if this is something you'd like to do, please head to thejournal.ie forward slash contribute. If you enjoyed this chat and learned something, we have loads more for you. Check out our back catalog where you'll find other shows on the coronavirus, as well as our special from last week on misinformation during the pandemic. This episode of The Explainer was brought to you by executive producer Christine Bohan, producer Aoife Barry, and assistant producer and tech operator Nikki Ryan. If you're enjoying these episodes, please leave us a review and rating wherever you listen to your podcasts. And more importantly, share with a friend who you think will enjoy them too. Thank you and catch you next time.